0: block and the sidelines he has not stepped out he may go all the way he needs one block and he'll do it easily promised mess i wouldn't do this mcdavid stops up what a move shoots scores
1: hey it's another edition of the outsiders Brent Griffiths, along with Robin Brownlee, it is episode and podcast number 42. How are you doing today, other than trying to stay warm?
2: Oh, it's all good, Bren. I'm just fine, raring to go.
1: Uh, you can't complain too much about the way this winter has gone. You know what we're getting right now in the Edmonton area, anyway? We're getting what's called winter.
2: <laughs> winter. And we're getting winter uh, at a time when my furnace has decided to bite the weenie, <laughs> oh, and... Awaiting yet another technician to come over with uh, dollar bill signs in his eyes.
1: You must have one of those high deficiency furnaces, right? Is that what you got?
2: It is. It is highly deficient. Yes, indeed.
1: Well, let's uh, let's talk about all the stuff that's been going on, and uh, let's kick things off with the NHL North. Big win for the Edmonton Oilers in Winnipeg with point seven seconds to go. That was a win they absolutely needed. And if they can find a way to win the next one, as much as we don't like to date our podcast too much, but from an Edmonton perspective, they need these two wins just to get back into the pack. Because as we've been talking, if you fall too far behind really early, you're never going to catch up. Because every night, because everybody's playing everybody, somebody is going to gain points on you or stay ahead of you. So they need to get back into the pack as fast as possible. That was a tough one for Winnipeg too last night.
2: Well, I, I didn't expect the Jets to be there at the end. Actually, I thought they'd be. I thought they'd run out of legs. To be honest with you, with a, a late start the night before and back to back, and when the Oilers started taking it to them in the second period, uh, you know, I thought they might run away with it. Wrong again. But you know, you're right. In in the in the in this division setup, you can't go over two in any of these back to backs with anybody. You, you just bury yourself and. You know, the the Jets have been playing really well early, uh, maybe a little bit better than some people thought they would. The Oilers have been up and down, uh, needed that win. And you know what? You need another one uh, the next time out too against the Jets. Then you come home feeling a little bit better about yourselves. But a lot of eyes on that division because of the nature of it. We always talk in past years about four-point games. Well, now they're all four-point games. They're all within the division. And you just can't go on a slide or you bury yourself
1: in a hurry. I was thinking about this as I watched Toronto and Calgary play in the afternoon tilt. And that was the fact that if somebody was to go on a six or an eight-game winning streak, you're pretty much in. Like, you could you could really pull away from the pack if you, if you put together a, a really great streak. But right now, I'm not really sure anybody's going to do that. Toronto's been okay. Calgary's been okay. Everybody's been okay. Even Ottawa's been okay. So somebody eventually is going to start to put it together. And you just got to stay close right now. The Edmonton Oilers also have to be encouraged by the play of Jesse pooley who not to my surprise, not to your surprise, I I don't think anybody's surprised. He's finally started to develop into an NHL player, and he's playing a 200-foot game.
2: Well, the thing about Jesse is this, and I used to get sick of hearing it, and some people uh, took that as me not liking the kid. I grew weary in a hurry of, he's not being given a chance. He's not being given a chance. Well, guess what? You don't necessarily get given anything. In a perfect world, are you put in the best situation to succeed? Well, sure. But every player's agent could say that. Well, I want my guy with better players. Jesse never really ran out and grabbed it uh, as a kid. And let's face it, he was rushed into the league, not his fault, but his problem. And he never put together a string of games where he went, yeah, that kid looks ready. Whether you can't, you know, you have no control over whether the puck goes in for you or not. But if you're getting chances and you're playing the right way sooner or later, it works. But you know, give him a chance. No, no, take a chance, earn it. That's what he's done this year, even though the numbers haven't been great. You know, I don't think he was spectacular early on, but he was always hard on the puck. He was always in the middle of the traffic instead of on the perimeter. And he earned the shot that he got late in Toronto with McDavid in the last few minutes and then last night. And he had a hell of a game. I don't remember a better game from Jesse Pugliarvi. He's had games where he had more points. He's had a three-point game. Uh, in a win over the Canucks a couple of years ago and he got the game-winning goal. That was a nice game, but, man, he was just all over it in this one, and that's what you need. He's 22 years old now. He's he's grown into a big, strong man instead of a a big, lanky teenager, and maybe there's something there. I'm not going to decree that he's arrived because of one game, just like I don't believe... You you talk about him in terms of a bust if he has a stretch where he's not good. And some people suggested that when he decided to stay home and play in Europe. Hell of a game last night. Let's see some more of it. But uh, you know what? It's like found money. He was away for a year. Some people were writing him up. Now he's back, a different player. So let's see what happens.
1: Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to be chatting with Brent McIntosh of the McIntosh Group, who are fine sponsors of of our podcast. And we'll talk to Brent because he's got a little bit of an interesting sports background with me. We'll explain that coming up in a little bit. But right now we're going to get to uh, Rob Vanstone, who is a longtime writer with the Regina Leader Post. Obviously going to talk about the NFL. Tom Brady. The Packers decision was a weird one. Casey looked pretty sharp, yeah. right? So we'll get into that. Plus, Henry Aaron passed away this week, and we got to talk about Hank. Wow, uh, what a classy guy. He wasn't – speaking of classy guys, we also lost his chief, George Armstrong, longtime Maple Leaf captain, so we'll uh, we'll obviously talk with Rob about that. And you, you want to bring something up about the World Juniors from 1991, I hear.
2: Well, it's funny, you know. It, it, we got Vanstone coming on. I got to give him a shot. Uh, that whole week, and I've talked about it before – it was cold as hell. I mean, that's where hockey writers gathered, of course, every World Junior. We're from Canada. We get the cold. We're going to Saskatoon and Regina. We get it. It won't be golf shirt weather. But uh, I was reading a column that Vanstone did a couple of years ago talking about some of the embarrassing moments in his career. Well, don't, don't say it here. He, uh, just blow
1: it by him when we get – That's a, maybe that's a bad term to use here but we're going to get him on here in a couple of seconds. So don't say it here. Just throw it right at him and let's see how he reacts to it. Okay.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, you're probably, that's probably a good call right there. Let's see. Let's see what he's got to say for testing the elements as he did.
1: Yes. And did he have a license to sell hot dogs? We'll get into all of that with Rob Vanstone from the Regina leader post coming up next. I don't even know where to start with you. We go back a long, long way to, this has got to be, what year, 1980 what?
0: Five. I remember it well. I was a journalism student at the University of Regina, and you were the voice of the Warriors. And uh, I got a press pass to go to uh, Regina Pat's game, and I was sitting in the press box wearing my brown Mr. Bean suit. And, um, and, uh. I sat beside this nice person named Brent Griffiths, and when you're a, when you're just starting out, you don't you don't have any, anything on a resume except I graduated from Campbell Collegiate somehow in 1982, and suddenly uh, another media person actually acknowledges your existence and is nice to you and chatty. I, that was amazing, and um, I planned to go to Edmonton that. Christmas, just with with my friends Mark and Roxanne Anderson over the holidays, and uh, the Oilers were at home to Philadelphia, and I remember saying to you, um, I wonder, is there any way I could get media credentials for this game? And you said, oh yeah, you just um, uh, you contact the Oilers, and you asked for Elaine L., which I did. I got media credentials. I was in a scrum with Wayne Gretzky when I was uh, just completing my first Semester journalism school. And that was because I sat next to uh, the amazing Brent Griffiths in the Igerdome press box in November of 1985.
1: We had a lot of fun. And Robin, wow. Robin who's in Camoops, man, y- you just can't say enough about the Western Hockey League or junior hockey. I mean, it was just so much fun and still is for you, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's always been something that I've loved. I mean, my dad used to be the Regina Pass organist. And uh, so from 71 to 74, I sat in a Green folding chair in the in the doorway of the green organ booth on one end of the Regina Exhibition Stadium and watched every Pats game for three years, including the memorial Cup season in seventy four. So that's how far back junior hockey goes for me as a as an interest and as and as a passion. It's something I shared with my dad.
2: Now, Bren, you said you didn't know where to start with Rob because you go back so far. I remember Rob in the Western Hockey League uh, when I was covering the Blazers. But there's one moment that jumps out at me more than that, and I was reading a a column by Rob this morning, and it was kind of a – it brought me back to the World Junior Championship uh, at Sask Place and down in Regina. And Rob wrote a column a couple years back about – some of the embarrassing moments he's had on the job. <laughs> and one of them was showing up for the Russian team's flight uh, and discovering at a time when it was already, shall we say, bone chilling cold with uh, and, and realizing his zipper was open. How yeah, the hell did you do that on the coldest day of the year? It's too
0: bad they didn't put me on the no-fly list. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, the Russians, it was such a cold day and their flight was delayed and delayed and delayed. And they were supposed to get in late at night. And um, eventually I was told that the Russians will actually, they've been diverted and they won't be coming until the morning. So I went home from work and went to bed. And I lay down and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's uh, one of the organizers. He says, the Russians are basically, he basically said the Russians are coming. And so, and they're going to be arriving in the airport in 15 minutes. So I got dressed in an awful hurry and it was so cold throughout that entire tournament and just made a beeline toward the uh, airport and I go running into the, running into the entrance and fortunately they hadn't arrived yet and uh, so I had time to ponder my appearance and re- realizing that I looked disheveled and thought I would just assess the spectacle that I was at that point, and to my horror, I found out that uh, my fly was open. <laughs> that's that's about as vivid a memory as I have of the 90, 91 World Juniors because it was just so embarrassing and uh, one of those uh, one of those signature uh, signature moments of a career.
1: So that was your highlight of that event, getting a little frost on your duty. So uh, so anyway, that's. Uh, <laughs> That's quite amusing. Hey, let's let's talk about the Western League though before we move on here. What are you hearing? Like what's what's going on? Are they gonna are they gonna play?
0: They sound like they're absolutely determined to play. And uh good for them. Uh you know, I don't know how how it's gonna be done financially. They've received some assistance at least in Saskatchewan from the provincial government. Each of the five Saskatchewan based teams is getting six hundred thousand dollars, which will help them a little. Yeah. Um uh, I think, from, the stand- from a developmental standpoint, they want to be able to get their players on the ice for at least twenty-four games. And uh, you know, if they if they can't do that, is that does that hurt them marketability-wise as far as players are considering playing in the Western Hockey League down the down the road? I think that showing that kind of commitment to playing is, I think, that it's a good message to players and parents uh, that may reap benefits uh, in years to come. I wonder considering the importance of of not only the Western Hockey League, but major junior hockey to the National Hockey League from a developmental standpoint, will the NHL be kicking in any money to help them out here? And they've got their own challenges playing without fans. And Gary Bettman said recently the amount of money they're going to lose is in the billions instead of millions. But um, it will be a little top-up from the NHL to make this feasible so their scouts can get a better read on the major junior players.
2: You know, it's interesting, Rob. Everybody... Big city, small town uh, misses hockey. At least in the National Hockey League, you know you, you can you can watch it on on television. Not to overstate, but the Western Hockey League is still a lot of smaller towns. Where let's face it, if you don't have hockey to be interested and in, invested in over the winter, there's not a lot of other things to do. You know, whether you go to the real small markets like the jaw and the hat and pick your pick your city, um, it really is the lifeblood of a lot of these communities, isn't it? Yeah, we really notice
0: it in Saskatchewan from that standpoint because of the five WHL franchises in Saskatchewan, three are community-owned. And, I mean, in Swift Current, you could take every resident of Swift Current and put them in in some larger WHL venues. And fell off seats left. That's a dis- I, it, I can't believe the disparity when you look at, there's a Swift current in the same league as a Calgary. Um, and yet they they are they're able to make it go. Uh, Prince Albert, Moose Jaw, same thing. And the, the teams are synonymous with the communities. And not to say that that's not the case with the South and Two Blades or Regina Pats, but but uh, there's also the, there's just the, there's such an identity there. There's such an instant identification, and it's a real void not only for the for the hockey teams, but for the for the economy as a whole. When you consider the restaurants, the hotels, the hospitality industry that that I think has a symbiotic relationship with with the junior hockey teams, we really notice the lack of sports here in Saskatchewan. Not not that it's undetected anywhere else, but if you live in any of the larger, any other the if you look at any the provinces to the west of us, to the east of us. Until you get to the maritimes, um, there's at least the NHL to give you that so-called infusion of local sports. But here, without an NHL team in Saskatchewan, it's there's really and without the Rough Riders having played this year, we really feel it. And uh, it's we're kind of a tweener market that way, and just you know, there's no Calgary Flames to cheer for, there's no Winnipeg Jets to cheer for, it just it seems like they're all, there's absolutely, absolutely everything is gone here just by nature of the sports teams we have to to support. So you really feel that we've got, you know, 12 Saskatchewan junior hockey league teams that are not dissimilar to the Moose Jaw Warriors, Prince Albert Raiders and, and Swift current Broncos and they're feeling it. And they've received a, 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 the SJ Saskatchewan junior hockey league has received a million dollars from the provincial government. So yeah, it's, it's really a blow to these communities and just it, it's tough enough to get through these endless winters without a hockey game to go to that that's I, that's something I really feel I go to a lot of the past games not only professionally but I go with my wife and we sit behind one of the nets and just have a nice night out and I, I miss doing that I just I just love to go to a hockey game and eat popcorn again but you know, there we we there are tougher things to deal with in this world, and eventually we'll get through this, and we'll be something resembling normal. Normalcy, I would hope.
1: Hey, if the Pats went just a couple of blocks away, they could be skating on the largest ice surface in the largest arena in the Western Hockey like, <laughs> How how? Why did they think of flooding the field at uh, at Mosaic? Like I, I saw pictures; it looks great. It's amazing. And they
0: had a media skate before they opened up to the general public. And it was open for 45 minutes, which was good because it gave me time to do one lap. And uh, it was just. (laughs) the first time I put skates on in 20 years. And I wore a pair of skates that I bought in 1987. So um, our photographer showed up and our videographer showed up, both familiar posts. And my skates were older than both of them. (laughs) It was. It was so cool to get out there and just uh, a little bit mournful, a little bit bittersweet because I just looked around and there's there's this amazing facility that we never could have dreamed of when I was growing up or even, you know, 15 years ago. And suddenly it's dormant and there's this massive rink. And uh, it's been so popular. Like every Monday at noon, registration takes place. And every Monday by about 12.01 p.m. it's full. Wow. And uh, I hope we do it every winter. It'd, It'd really be... I think it would be cool for some other communities to do. Just It's just a really nice, fun thing to do. And I can't imagine what it will be like when more than 30 or 50 people will get out there or 10 get out there.
1: You have the dubious honor, as do I, of being a Denver Broncos fan. We go that far back. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I know how my connection came about because the guy who owned the team spent a lot of his life in Edmonton. How did you get stuck being a Broncos fan?
0: I've asked myself that this, these past five years. Um, before 1978, we didn't have cable television in Regina, and uh, the only my only link to the National Football League was through radio stations emanating from the United States. We'd only we only got games in, in on CBC back then once the CFL season was over. So my dad was a big radio nut, and I was a big radio nut. Well, I go down the dial looking for American sports at night, and it was pretty tough to miss KOA Denver at 8.50. Yep. And uh, it's called the Blowtorch for a reason, Clear Channel. And and, uh, that's how I got started listening to to NFL games and Denver Bronco games in particular. Plus, they had Denver Nuggets games back then, so that was – you know, late years of the ABA, early years, their early years of the National Basketball Association, and they had David Thompson who was spectacular. So uh, I just listened the KOA all the time, and just I couldn't help but become a Bronco fan. I actually started out as a bit of a Steeler fan, and uh, just over time I just kept, it was more Broncos less Steelers, and uh, I just, I loved, the 77 season helped. Uh, it was a year before we got cable TV, the Broncos go 6-10 and 12-2, and they beat the Raiders in the AFC Final, and are on to their first Super Bowl. And there was something about that team that I just fell, in ab- fell absolutely in love with. And Over the years, it just got worse and worse. And over the last five years, they've just got worse and worse. But uh, absolutely love the Denver Broncos and just live and die with them.
2: Rob, I got to tell you, that's absolutely bizarre. Not your fandom of those two teams. My first team that I cheered for, Pittsburgh Steelers. My second team, Denver Broncos. Wow. The <laughs> I remember going to Mile High Stadium uh, early years on the hockey beat. You could just, it was just across the parking lot uh, from the uh, Colorado Avalanche rink, McNichols Arena then. And I remember just standing there thinking it was some sh- sort of Shrine, And let's face it, it wasn't that great a stadium, but it was a place that I'd always identified with. That's, uh it's odd. I, I didn't know that about you. Um, hey, let's move north of the 49th for football because that's the next obvious thing. We're talking about, you know, the Western Hockey League in the prairies. What about the Canadian Football League? I mean, to me, and I'll get killed for this here, because I'm a Vancouverite, right? I'm not an Edmontonian, I'm a transplanted guy, been here since 89. To me, Saskatchewan has always been the heart and soul of the Canadian Football League. You love to hate those guys with the billboards and the, and the success they've had and the community team and everybody hopping in the car, whether they got to drive two hours or not. It's got to have been just awful for the people out there not to have that as part of their regular routine.
0: Oh, it's it's just been terrible. Um, I thought about that a lot while I was skating around uh, Mosaic Stadium and uh, staring at the goalpost where, or the uprights, the the, the crossbar. Pardon me, that uh, Cody Fajardo hit on uh, November, you know, November of 2019, and, and we had November 17th, and we haven't had anything since then. And there's no football for more than 400 days, and in this new stadium with this charismatic quarterback, with a team that finishes first for only the second time in the span of 43 years. And, and, and then suddenly all of this is on hold. And, uh, it's, it's contrary to everything I've grown up with and, 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 and just love. And it's hard to believe that there wasn't a Canadian football league season. And I'm still not certain that I can believe there will be one in 2021. It just um, it it just boggles my mind, and i I absolutely miss it. Uh, I've said this several times i've I've always been one who loves Canadian football but hates Canadian football League preseason, and I've always grumbled about them.' just get on with the regular season. these are horrible. I will never take a preseason game for granted again. I will never take a practice for granted again. I just want to do what I do and enjoy a football game and and uh, just get back to the roots of what got me into sports in the first place. And, and I'm not sure that's different for Stampeders fans or Eskimos fans, Lions fans, what have you. If you're a fan of the Canadian Football League, you you feel this. Uh, there's not the widespread fervor in other places that there is here, but there's still you know tens of thousands of people in every market uh, that this means something to. And it's, it's and not to have a great cup for the first time since 1919 yeah, just, you know, there's bigger things in the world but sports is great because it's a distraction in a lot of times from the from the real world whether it's pandemics or bad news or just work or anything in general It's one of the reasons we enjoy it we can get our mind off things for a while sometimes in, in, in addition to having something wonderful to watch and the less sports there is, the more time there is to focus on COVID numbers yeah. and uh, and just wonder about things. I just I can hardly wait till there's a till there's a, there's a game to go to. I'm not convinced there'll be one before, say, late August or September. Uh, the vaccine and the virus are going to dictate a lot of that, but won't that be sweet?
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. Now they, you know, just before we got to you today, there was an interesting story, and Robin will pass it along here in a second. But it makes me question whether or not. There's a little inside information on whether or not we may see a season or not when the head coach of the Edmonton, whatever you're going to call them, his name is coming up in the U.S. with an NFL team. Robin, what was the story this morning just before we went?
2: Yeah, Farhan Walji was reporting that there was interest uh, in Scott Milanovic by uh, the Indianapolis Colts as a quarterback's coach. Uh, saw that for the first time this morning. Don't know if it's true, although I can't imagine Farhan putting it out there. Uh, if it wasn't, don't know if there's been any permission asked to talk to him. But, uh, yeah, Scott Milanovic apparently is in the uh, crosshairs of the Indianapolis Colts.
1: It just makes me wonder whether or not and, there's something we're not hearing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then what we're not hearing is something definitive from the Canadian Football League. and yeah. It's sort of a, a statement to the fans on Friday that, when you really look at it, they say they plan to play and they're optimistic, but there's not an ironclad commitment such as that that I think you can say safely say that the Western hockey League has made and uh the longer this goes on, you wonder if some coaches get, especially given the Im- impermanency of the coaching positions in general, are going to look at other opportunities, whether it's down south or in terms of the national football League or even colleges and uh Again, I just underlined the importance of just getting yourself back on the field, and if necessary, absorbing a bit of a financial hit in order to just get yourself out there. Because uh, it's just out of sight, out of mind. This is a league that was not without its issues before the pandemic hit. It right. took a pandemic for the league to come clean, basically, with by outlining the financial situation in which it uh, it was trying to make things go and. You know, when Randy Ambrosi talked about the overall losses that the, the league and the teams incur every year, uh, that was a, when he was talking to the House of Commons Committee on Finance, that was a real eye opener. It just, it, it, there's so much rah rah emanating from the commissioner's office normally, but then when he had to make a plea for money, that's when you found out the, the, the degree to which the Canadian football league was in a difficult situation. That was before the pandemic.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hey, we, we don't have you for a ton of time, but I uh, There's a couple more things we need to touch what on. One, <laughs> one is here, I saw a uh, sports illustrated cover that you had put on, uh, on Twitter that had been signed by Henry Aaron. It was uh seven was the big home run for him. And I remember getting that. That was my first ever Sports Illustrated cover that I ever remember seeing come in my wow. mailbox. As a kid, my dad wow. said, do you want a subscription to SI? Let's get it. And the very first one was that was that episode. But Hank Aaron, what a guy who we just sadly lost this past weekend. What, what a guy. How did you get that autograph? I wrote to him. I
0: was an um, inveterate autograph collector from 1980 to 1985. And I just that's pretty much all I did. I fed the dog and I wrote for autographs and, uh, sometimes they, uh, went hand in hand. Cause one day I got a, I wrote to Alan Bester, the Toronto Maple Leafs. He wrote back in a week and signed an, sent back, sent an autograph back. and I left it two, two on a table that was, wasn't high enough off the ground. And my, uh, my, uh, Spaniel terrier puppy ate the Alan Bester autograph. There's still teeth marks in it. Um, <laughs> That was my dog named Peeve, Pet Peeve. and uh, but I back then it was before autographs were really huge commodities. They were more of a personal thing, and the athletes, even entertainers, weren't deluged with mail the way they are now, and they weren't suspicious of people putting it on. You know, selling autographs. The the some of the biggest names in sports would respond to mail back then. So I wrote to, to Henry Aaron, chair of the Atlanta Braves, and within a week or two, I had his autograph. Wow, And that wasn't uncommon. Willie Mays, you know, there were a lot more players who responded than who didn't. And uh, that included Wayne Gretzky. I got his autograph through the mail. And uh, it was a really fun time just to go through all these binders of autographs lately and and see some of the names that I was able to to get. It's taken me back to some really fun years. And sadly, so many of these guys are gone now. That's what really—it's hard to flip through a page or two without seeing that there's an autograph of somebody who's passed, especially some of the ones we've lost in the past year.
1: Yeah,
2: it's
0: uh, what a year.
2: Well, you know, Rob, we just go to the last week. Um, George Armstrong, Captain, you know, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, all those cups, and an absolutely—I don't know if in your travels you got to bump into them at all, but. George was, and, and people say this a lot when somebody passes, but it's never more true. What a, a, a gentleman! What a welcoming face in the press box to visiting writers and media. He was always just such a welcoming guy. Good run at nine and nine years, but really sad to hear. chief go
0: Chief Go. I heard, I read a story on Twitter, I think it was by Lance Hornby of the Toronto Sun. And he said one day he was uh, musing out loud about uh, not having a ride home from a practice or something. And George Armstrong offered him a ride home. And they had this wonderful chat. Uh, and then George Armstrong drove him home. Who does that? <laughs> that's just such a nice, nice gesture. And that's. I think you, you, you know you look back on a lot of athletes that have the vintage and uh, and sadly we've lost so many of them now. I mean, everything you've heard of you heard about Johnny Bauer was that he was the same type of person yeah, and uh yeah. there's so much class and and it's really it's tough when a lot of the athletes that you grew up worshiping, enjoying, respecting they just they're leading us and uh, that's a bit of a gut punch every time it, every time it happens.
1: Okay, to wrap things up, it's only appropriate. And I can't tell you how much fun I had in Saskatchewan for almost five years hanging with you guys. One guy that always made me laugh and I always tried to make laugh was a guy named Warren Woods. And we lost Woodsy this past week. And he was a fixture for, oh, was he there over 30 years? Because I just can't believe how much time has gone by.
0: Yeah. Woodsy started the first day that SPV, now global Regina, went on the air, September 6th, 1987. and. Uh, he was there for, for nearly 26 years and then went to see Jamie Regina, Regina radio station in 2013 and everybody loved him. You know, sometimes when people die, you're, you're selective about what you say and you emphasize the positive and maybe you just gloss over some things that are less flattering. That happens from time to time. Not a lot, but there's, there's certain times when you write an obituary and you know, oh, I just, I don't think I'll mention this. Um, with Woodsy, Everything that you would say about him, um, uh, everything you could possibly say about him is positive. I wrote a column on him in 2017, and it was pretty much a lot of the same stuff that I wrote after, sadly, he passed, because it was just, he was a fun guy, he was a great guy, he just, uh, he was one of these people that made you feel like you were the most important person in his world, even if you ran into him for 10 seconds or 20 seconds at a hockey game. And, uh, and uh, just, instantly welcoming, just not unlike Bryn Griffiths in the Hagrid old Press Box in 1985. They're just, one of those people was just instantly likable and, and didn't, didn't judge, wasn't nice to people because there was a, was an agenda, because it was advantageous to, 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 curry favor with somebody. Just, um, tremendously nice, funny, engaging, warm person. And, uh, he was diagnosed with COVID nineteen in late November, and it, it sounded like it was it was going to be okay. A GoFundMe page went up, and and the goal was fifty thousand dollars, and within a day that amount was exceeded. And wow. uh, that was founded with the uh, with the um, I think the expectation that there was going to be a recovery, but a long one. And then suddenly it just it just turned, and and we lost uh, Woodsy last Wednesday, and it's just such a blow. It's just so many people have said, I, I'd love to hear that laugh again. I'd love to hear that chuckle again. I'd love to see him again. And, uh, it's still hard to really digest that, that uh, someone who meant so much to all of us could be gone so quickly. And, uh, it's still bringing the week around here. And you know, yeah. we've lost more than 250,000, 250 people in Saskatchewan after COVID. And look at the numbers across Canada and the U S there's just so many of these stories. And it's just so sad. And, there's families who aren't aren't publicly, as publicly, but certainly as sincerely, are grieving the losses of people. And it's just, when it hits, when it's somebody you know and, and, and really love, that's when it really drives it home. That this is, it's not just statistics anymore. These are people that you care for.
1: Well said. And as for Woodsy, a lot of laughs, a lot of beers, a few house parties. And I was always welcomed in Regina as the voice of the Moose Jaw Warriors, and I always appreciated when you guys actually came to Moose Jaw. It was a lot of fun too. We always opened up our our climate controlled press location at the Civic Center uh, <laughs> for you guys freezing your ass off just down the hall here. Uh, we, we Rob Carney and I were boxed in in a glass thing with a heater on, and it was always fun to have you guys. It was and- beautiful. Yeah, it was great. We we always tried to take the tropical plants out though, because uh, we had them in there in the summer, and we always thought you guys are chipping through your coffee to get to uh, you know because it, it froze over. Uh, Kevin Gallant and uh, Peter Labardius and all the guys. It, uh, like I said, Miss Woodsy. I, and I thought we should just end on uh, on. You know what? It's I. It's so sad to lose a guy like Warren, but. Uh, we've all been touched by him, and uh, he he's left a great favorable impression with me, and I'll never forget him, and I, I thought we should end like that today. I hope you don't mind.
0: No no, no better way to end it. No better person to uh, remember and uh, reminisce about than, than Warren Woods.
1: We'll tip one back for him. Hey, Rob, thanks for your time today. This is great stuff. we got to do it again, okay? i love that, Bryn, and thanks so much, Robin. And uh, Bryn,
0: go Broncos. 2021
1: is the year. (laughs) It's only appropriate we would have Brent McIntosh on from the McIntosh group because he's a sponsor of our fine podcast and he joins us today. And there's a reason why he's here. One, he's a sponsor of our fine podcast. And also uh, we have a long history. We go back how
3: far? We go back to nine thirty CJCA, uh, which would be the early nineties. I worked there from 1992 to 93. And I had the pleasure, Bryn of being your producer on a little tiny show called primetime sports with Bryn Griffiths. Yes.
2: Whoa. Whoa. I, hey, Brent, you're not telling us that you're responsible for, uh, furthering Bryn's career in the radio business, are you?
3: Definitely not. Bryn is a tiny bit older than me, so I'll, I'll – ad- ad- <laughs> first of all. So he was in radio first. And actually, we can blame a mutual friend of all of ours for me getting into radio because I went to university with Bob Stoffer. And uh, he's the one that talked me into getting into radio, believe it or not, in the early 90s. And
1: this is how scary this whole thing is, is because Bob always says, Brinster, you're the one who got me on too. He'd, be, he'd been a long time fixture over uh, at the University of Alberta. But I, I was uh, programming the sports station, which is now TSN 1260, when we launched as the Team 1260. We needed an afternoon guy when I, I know just the guy I want. So I went out and got Bob Stoffer and so Bob and I always laugh that I'm the Dr. Frankenstein that got him started. So it's kind of a weird little world that we work work in, that's for sure. And you also worked with Brian Hall because did you not also do producing for the Edmonton Eskimo broadcast back in the day?
3: Yeah, I was really fortunate for uh, my short but illustrious radio career that when 9.30 CJCA unfortunately closed, I wasn't unemployed for too long as. Um, Brian Hall and Larry Barris were responsible for bringing me to 630 Ted, so I could help out with the football broadcast there. And I spent five years at 630 Ted, and I spent another five or six years just doing the football games with Halsey.
1: Hey, did you also not work overnight shifts because, you know, Larry King just passed away, longtime broadcast legend. So you would have probably been flipping the switches during his show when he was on radio.
3: I was a board operator and, and 19 years old and doing the news every 30 minutes during La- Larry King's show. Yeah, so uh, it, was, it, was, it was a huge part of my radio, uh, working the overnight shift with Larry King here in Edmonton.
2: You know what? He was the first really brilliant interviewer, I recall. I always thought Johnny Carson was pretty good, too, but that's a different setup, less newsy, obviously. And Larry said one thing that I've never quite got a handle on. Keep the questions short. Keep them under 20 seconds. Man, I struggle with that. What's the key to actually asking the question and letting the guests speak? Brent, go ahead now.
1: Wow. (laughs) I don't even know where to go with that one, Brent. (laughs)
3: Uh, Typical news guy, right, Brent?
1: newspaper guy yeah leave it as an open-ended question and you never know well it's one of the fun things about doing this podcast is that we do get a chance to talk to a lot of guys that we've known for a long time but try to keep it as conversational as possible and we can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, this podcast thing how are you listening to the podcast just casually
3: well, I listen uh, religiously every week. It automatically downloads onto my iPad, and I love the guests that you guys have had. Just a, a who's who of sports personalities and some amazing interviews in the past year.
1: So what wow. more? What, what, well, and thank you for that, by the way, but uh, what What are the big sports for you? What do you like to watch or listen to?
3: Well, yesterday was a pretty good day. uh Watching, uh, started the day with the, the Detroit-Chicago hockey game, two football games, and finished the day with a, an Oilers game. It like, doesn't get much better than that for a Sunday.
1: You weren't flipping back and forth between a hockey and a football game at one point?
3: I was at the end of the football game, yes. I started the hockey game and finished the football game back and forth. Is that what you guys were doing?
1: That's usually what I do around here. I've got, I have got—I don't think that, that remote control leaves my hand on a Sunday. I'm flipping back and forth between numerous football games or hockey games, and Robin, I'm sure you're the same.
2: Well, I'm just glad, you know, and, and this might not be the norm because we know what COVID's done to everybody, and these are definitely first-world problems, but I really enjoy just being able to sit back and watch the hockey game and come and go as I please, as opposed to, hey, how about writing that one last night in Winnipeg where the game completely changes in the last half a second, uh, pounding off 800 words and then running for the plane. Um, Much more relaxed pace for an old newspaper guy right now, totally enjoy it and I'm uh, yeah I'm the king of one of the kings of the channel surfing crowd now too
1: hey Brent I, I could say this and I do frequently on our podcast I'm going to let you say exactly uh, tell us a little bit about the biz and how it's gone and how did you move from doing radio
3: to this yeah it, it's quite the switch and even when two three weeks before I got into real estate, I was still swearing I would never be a realtor and and why would I say something like that? Both my my parents were real estate agents and so as a teenager growing up, I swore I would never do this business. Uh, We never saw my mother, evenings, weekends, she was always working so I thought that was a terrible job and hence why I went into radio as a young man. Uh, When I quit the radio station back in 1998, I literally, as I said, didn't even know that I was going to end up in real estate and lo and behold, it happened. I can tell you that it's been fantastic. I have no complaints and and I wouldn't change anything that I have done. Uh, The business itself has been pretty incredible and the changes that we've seen just in the past year have been the most I've seen in my 22 years, just the way that we're doing business, the way that we're selling houses. Fortunately, real estate is still deemed in Alberta anyway an essential service. So I am fortunate enough that I got to work through 2020, as there's obviously a lot of businesses out there that didn't get to work because of government shutdown. So I'm fortunate that we did get ruled as an essential service. We've just had to change the way that we're marketing properties and change the way that we're showing those properties to buyers. So now you're you're seeing the computer and the internet come into play even more than ever before.
1: We, you and I, are doing a podcast called Just Sold with Brent McIntosh. You just kind of Launched it not long ago. It's been a lot of fun. And, and I've learned a lot because you brought great guests on as well. How much fun has this been for you?
3: It, it's been fantastic. And, and one of the things that I've enjoyed most about it is, is almost getting back to my radio roots of broadcasting. And we've had lots of compliments for the podcast. People that, uh, that I'm running into just on the street that have been listening and quoting me on some of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast. So it's just one of those extra tools that we have to get the word out on what's happening in the Edmonton real estate market.
1: And what about the future here? Let's, uh, let's kind of, we, we don't want to keep you too long cause there's houses to sell and houses to put on the market, that kind of stuff. But how, uh, how do you see 2021 lining up not only for the Edmonton area, but also across the country?
3: Yeah, so it's been interesting to say the least. Here in January, the forecasters, of course, are out there trying to make their living and and describe what's going to happen to the Edmonton real estate market and the Canadian real estate market. This past week, CMHC released a a statement saying that the real estate prices in in Canada are going to drop by 50%. And I think that that's a really irresponsible statement when they're making a blanket statement uh, across the country. What they really meant is that they think real estate prices are going to drop in Toronto and they don't care about the rest of the country when they say stuff like that. I would tell you that if here in Alberta specifically, it's going to be rough because of the economy, not only COVID, but obviously uh, the energy industry has been challenging to say the least. But if you own a single family property here in the Edmonton area, I would suggest that you're going to see a small increase in value, maybe 1% to 2% this year. Not a gigantic increase, but but an increase nonetheless, just because right now what we're seeing is very few single-family homes on the market. If you own a condominium, that's a little different story. Unfortunately, the Edmonton market has been overwhelmed with a huge supply of condominiums, especially downtown Edmonton, uh, where they've built a whole bunch of new buildings, and it's really dropped the values in the past couple of years for those apartment-style downtown condominiums. And I'd suggest that that market is going to continue to fall uh, until we get more people living here in Edmonton to buy up the inventory.
1: Hey, thanks for coming on with us this morning, and it's uh, great to see your lovely face. Thankfully, this is an audio podcast for people at home, so they don't have to go through that. But uh your support has been from. yeah, your support has been fantastic, and thanks for coming on board with us. Uh can't thank you enough.
3: No, thank you guys. I appreciate the show. You guys are doing a great job.
1: Tell everybody your
3: website thanks, and how they can get a hold of you. They can reach us directly at 780-464-0075. Our website is Macintosh and our podcast. Which friend you are the host of is called Just Sold with Brent McIntosh.
1: Okay, so there we go. Both Rob Vanstone and Brent McIntosh on the podcast today with some great stories. Hey, uh, do you have anything, Hank Aaron? You have a Hank Aaron story before we move on other than just watching him and, and watching how he guided his career. And the, I think the only juice he was on was orange juice. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it just, <laughs> he just seemed like he was about as classy and individual and an athlete as you were ever going to see. Plus also we can talk about Jackie Robinson all we want, but he went through an awful lot to break that Babe Ruth record and went through a lot of tough times and death threats, Robin.
2: Yeah. The, uh, you know, uh, when, Aaron passed I I, I remember tweeting out that the age I am the best two players I ever saw as a young kid not the best two players but that I saw were Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron right in that time slot great players before that obviously a lot of great players after but I just remember watching this man uh and highlights what for what they were back then, they weren't as easily had as now. I thought, man, and I was never any good at playing ball, but I thought, those guys are just great, you know, Mickey Mantle, you know, Yankees, Hank Aaron, who's this guy that keeps on hitting home runs? And I kept thinking, even though I was a kid, who's this little guy? Because well he wasn't little. I mean he was six feet and about a buck eighty or so. Yeah. That's not Mark McGuire. That's not, you know, the the monsters that hit the big ball today. He just had a sweet swing and he made contact. And as a kid, before there's any politics and any social things creep into it that that Mr. Aaron had to put up with uh, while he was playing, I just remember thinking, man, those guys are great.
1: Hey, to kind of wrap things up, let's just touch on a couple of NFL things that we didn't touch on through the uh, podcast today. The Green Bay Packers. What, what what's with that call? Like, what were they thinking there? Why why did they do what they why? I still I'm still speechless over that whole that whole episode.
2: <laughs> well, if you if you saw the post game with Aaron Rodgers, he was pretty much speechless too. He couldn't come up with a real good answer. And really, what's he gonna say when the call when someone else makes the call? You know, it was it was bizarre and some people would make the somewhat cruel joke. He had a, a Jason Moss moment there. Um it didn't make sense to me. The bigger story though for me is Tom Brady. Like, is there some cosmic rule that he has to play in every Super Bowl or what?
1: Well, don't I get it? I'm actually getting a little tired of the of people just you know I know what success does. People just don't want to see the same guy winning and winning and winning and winning all the time. But there's a reason for it. I've watched a lot of great NFL quarterbacks, and uh, being a Denver Broncos fan, uh, Peyton Manning's right there for me. But Tom Brady is just one notch up, and he's going back to the Super Bowl again. It's going to be T-Bay and Kansas City. But I, I just think at some point, when is he? When is he going to? When are people going to lay off? Or is that ever going to happen? I know people don't like him. Is it because he's too perfect? What is it? Like I, I can't I can't get my head wrapped around that.
2: I think it's sadly a little bit typical today. He's successful, he's good looking, he's wealthy, he's a lot of the things that a lot of people wish they were, and there's some people that after a while they just want to tear that down. How do you argue against Tom Brady at this point? I've never been his biggest fan, not out of dislike just hey for the longest time the patriots are the patriots and that's a juggernaut but if you don't give the man his due man you aren't paying attention
1: and how about tampa bay they get to the stanley cup final they win it huh. they're 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 in the world series they don't win it and now they're going to the super bowl yep. probably not going to win it the way kc plays these days but it still may be fun and i don't want to write the old guy off like i might have done a few years ago cuz he keeps winning <laughs> and their defense is pretty damn Think, good too.
2: Yeah, that's a fun town to be in right now, isn't it?
1: The weird part is is that they're going through this wonderful sports year and nobody can go to a game. It's the strangest yeah. thing. I mean, it's just bizarre. Yep. Hey, listen, thanks for your time today and thanks for your time this week and uh lots more stuff coming up. I uh I like I said there were a lot of uh, moments this past week when I went, "What's with that?" Like I just, I had, I was scratching my melon more than once or twice over weird calls and strange things that had happened and things that I'd seen online. So it was just, uh, it was a fun week. If you're a sports fan, you got, you got to love the way things are playing out. Thanks for your time. Get that furnace Absolutely. fixed, will you?
2: Yeah, I think I better look after that, huh?
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll talk to you next week.
2: In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition. One thing.